Good investments are hard to find, aren't they? Especially in the days in which we live. I can remember years ago, it always was a kind of a tried and true truism that you could just put your money in the stock market, set back, and watch it make money. You know, it didn't make a whole lot of money, but it made money steadily, consistently. And over a large amount of time, you could feel safe and secure in your money. Being in a place where it would be invested well. In recent years, we have new phenomenon at work. And I don't know about yours, but reading your retirement statement or your investment portfolio can be a very depressing part of your life. The key to it, I've decided, is to look at all those things on the right day. And don't look at it the next day. Because from one day to the moment next, somebody may sneeze and the whole picture may change. It's just not worth the stress it takes. You have to take a long-term view rather than a short-term glimpse at your future if you want to have any security whatsoever. Today we're going to talk about, for the next few weeks, we're going to talk about stewards, being good stewards of who we are, created in Christ. Nurtured by his spirit and what it means to be a steward. I'm going to refer a lot in this series to a book, it's a little small book written a few years ago by a man named Dan Dick. It's entitled Beyond Money because I want us to move beyond money. Now, I don't want us to move without money, I'll be clear about that, but I want us to move beyond money because being a good steward is about much more than it is about money. It's about much more than it is about simply being in worship or volunteering to to serve on a particular committee in church. Being a good steward says more about who you are than it does anything else. One of the real joys of being a pastor of this congregation and this part of this church's history has been to get to know so many of you who have done so much in days gone by. You have carved out a unique and meaningful church family for many people. You have touched the lives of youth through generations. They are serving around this world even as we gather here today. They're just spread out like seeds in the wind and they're taking root and they're being planted in places like India where I talked yesterday to Miss Ribble who is in India That was a real treat amidst a beautiful day and the sunshine while I was on a golf course and Paul was my partner, so she called him and they were talking and he had to remind her he's on the golf course. And so when he went to hit his ball, I got the phone. It was FaceTime. It was a great conversation. Reminding me once again of how many ways and how many times your investments in the lives of youth and children have grown up to be responsible for helping God create change around his world, not just in this place, but around his world. You are a missional, apostolic church with a mindset of forever pressing forward and seeing lives transformed and changed for the glory of God. And you should be proud of that. You should claim that as your heritage, and you should strive to work into the future so that the past does not become the only story we have to tell 
except as we move forward, there are more and more newer stories to tell with each passing year. So when we're talking about investment, when we're talking about stewardship, we're talking about exactly what this parable is talking about. And I almost want to apologize for reading that scripture because that's a shocking piece of scripture, isn't it? I mean, you just read it and you kind of go, ooh, yuck. That just, to be in scripture, that's not a fun story. I remember reading that passage of scripture and another one or two associated and some other parables in a particular book about the ministry of the laity and some doctoral ministry courses a long, long time ago. And I remember reading them going, what? And going back and reading it again. How have I missed that? Because here's this book that's telling me the scripture says, He who has only a little something, if they don't use it right, even that'll be taken away. And that feels yucky. It feels yucky. And on top of that, he's giving the one to the one that has ten. That feels yucky too to me. I don't get it. Well, fortunately, you know, good authors correct your misunderstandings. And in this book, it went on to say that this book was making a point. And it's a point that everyone needs to know. And it was a point for me there in those years of ministry a long time ago when I was in Salina, Texas and thought that Dr. Doug would make a good sound, just like, you know, Reverend Billy D. you know how you love that phrase? Well, Dr. Doug would make a good sound, right? Except I would never be called Dr. Doug. But anyway, I took the courses, I took the classes, uh, so I'm not doctor. You say, why not? Because I never wrote the book. I never wanted to finish. I never had time for it. I didn't care if I was Dr. Doug or not. I'd already learned what they had to say, and that's more about me than it was about my wife, trust me, my my mother-in-law, or possibly even my mother, uh, who were very insistent that I would get a degree, so you are now punished without a doctor in your pulpit. Well, I'm okay with that. If you're not, you'll get used to it. (laughs) A steward is one who manages another's property. And lo and behold, this kind of scripture just slaps you right upside the face and says, I have invested in you, and I intend for you to use it in worthwhile ways. Because I'm coming back, and when I do, there will be a time of accountability to go with the responsibility you've had. And when I come back and see you, my expectations are not that you've just set on what you've had, but that you have invested it, even though that too involves risk. I think if I'd have been writing that parable, if I were Jesus, I would, have, I would have added another chapter. I would have had four stewards. I would have wanted somebody that would have risked all that they had and had lost it all in trying to increase what the master had left them. That's the way I'd have written the parable, but there you go. I didn't write the scripture, right? But I like that story because it says something about risk. It says something about not being simply comfortable where you are but willing to take what you have and who you are and risk it all for the sake of the kingdom of God. I think that's much more important and much more value than we often place on it in the church. Churches are not known for being great risk takers. Does that surprise you? It surprised me as a young pastor because I thought they were all about risk and they thought I was all about crazy. You know, and sometimes I'm sure it sounded that way. But I'm comfortable being crazy, as long as I'm being crazy for the Lord's reasons. A steward is responsible, accountable, and risk-taker. 
Is God's investment in you a wise one? Now, I had this sermon all planned out, and then I got all confused, and I thought it was going to take three hours, so I thought I'd trim it back. So here's where I want to start, but before I do, I want to give you another close-up, close-up view of someone who is a steward in our congregation and has been for years. Let's have that video now, if I could. It's going to appear on the screen. I never know quickly. There you go. Church, it's an honor to be here with you this morning. I want to tell you how thankful I am for this church, for the warmth and the love and the friendship and the kindness of so many lovely people. Thank you for a wonderful pastor who preaches from the Bible to our hearts. Thank you for our staff and for the finest Sunday school class in all the world, Room Seekers. Let me share two of my ministries with you. I love to cook. It is a pleasure to fix my brownies, my espresso brownies. It is a pleasure to take soups and various types of breads to the shut-ins, to try to limit my stay to only 15 minutes. Never have made that goal yet, but it is an honor to visit those that are coming out of the hospital. and. The Lord has given me the time and the inclination and, frankly, the talent. Hey, I'm a good cook. My second ministry, I love to quilt. I have about eight of the sweetest gals that you could ever meet. Uh, we meet in my home. I teach them uh, little tricks. We try to do uh, things for the church. We do our uh, walker pouches. And you'll see some of the ladies in the church with their walkers and the prettiest pouches you ever saw. Reds and purples and blues. If you need one, you let me know. And last of all, my talent to talk. I love to share the Lord. I love to share the joy that he has brought to my life. And I want to thank you for letting me spend some time with you this morning. One example of a person who's found creative ways to use her talents and abilities as well as her spiritual gift of talking to share love and joy throughout the congregation. She didn't say that she also is a regular volunteer in the church office for us uh, during the week. She could have said a lot of other things, but those, that's what she said, and we limited her to only so many words, as you can see why. You know, when you see somebody flesh and blood before you and you hear them talk about what they do for God, sometimes it's not directly related to the church and sometimes it is, but, but you hear them express how God has blessed them and how they're using everything that they are and who they've come to be in order to reach out and touch people's lives. Another name that was brought up earlier this morning was Patsy Contas, and I'm told that years ago when she was younger that any time the church was having a meal, Everybody would be lining up in front of Patsy and her sister and getting their plates heaped with delicious food to nourish them. That goes way back in the church's history. I've heard stories about many people from this congregation who are no longer here with us and what they gave to individuals in terms of teaching them how to be a disciple, how to be a learner, how to be a steward. And we continue to see that rolling out right in front of us because this church has a commitment to knowing the scriptures and to learning from them, to 
passing on to each generation what they've received, and that is the opportunity to follow their Lord. One of the main points of this book, Beyond Money, <clears throat> is the idea that perhaps we have not used words to their fullest potential. And you know, we get trapped in that, <clears throat> excuse me, sometimes in our lives, we, we get stuck on a topic and a word and we just keep using it until we beat it to death. In 1996, the United Methodist Church at General Conference adopted a new mission statement. And at the heart of that mission statement, it said that United Methodists were to make disciples of Jesus Christ. That was our mission, to make disciples of Jesus Christ. And I thought it was a good mission statement that day, uh, and I still think it is. And why do I think it's a good mission statement? It came out of this annual conference. Out of all the annual conferences in Methodism, that statement came out of the work of of who is now Dr. Gary Muller and also uh, Bishop Scott Jones. They did the work, and they wrote those documents, and then they were wise enough to get a, a young woman clergy who is now Bishop Huey, who is about to retire in 2016, to present it to the annual conference. So it had the backing of two conferences and, and all people interested, and it was adopted at that time to make disciples of Jesus Christ. And sometimes I think we get lost in letting that be a holistic statement. I think that I have in my own life at times, and I don't think I fail to put together the totality of Scripture and what it means quite like uh, Pastor Dick did in this, in this statement. But he says that we should and need to separate, even as we join together, the terms disciple and steward, that both are good biblical terms, and people think they are interchangeable but that is not true that they each have a specific meaning to them and that each of them contributes in a special way to the life of the church disciples biblically and by their meaning are people who are who are students followers apprentices if you will they are the ones who are learning from the one who is teaching them like Jonathan is here to be an intern um, apprentice to Nick Now, that's a scary thought. (laughs) But fortunately, he's also here to be an apprentice to the rest of us to help guide him in all that he needs to become. And that's important. To be an apprentice is to mean to learn a trade, to learn from someone else who can help you become who you need to be. A steward, on the other hand, is someone who is a teacher, someone who is a leader, someone who is a practitioner of that which they've already learned. If disciples mainly gain knowledge and skills, if that's their emphasis, then stewards mainly manage the knowledge and skills that they already have by putting them into practice. Now you know where I'm going, right? There'll be no more hidden agendas this morning. To become a disciple is a necessary thing, but to grow into a steward who is still being discipled is the process that the Scripture outlines. You never quit learning, but you also never quit using what you have learned for the good of the kingdom of God. Why is it that the, the Methodist church in particular, it seems to me, and I get to criticize her, I spend most of my life in her, I get to say something if I want to say something today I do. Methodists are better learners than we are doers. And I don't think that's a good thing. 
Now, don't get me wrong. I don't think we should go out doing what we do not understand. I think we should be in this kind of reciprocal, uh, circular action that is moving in a linear way. I'm constantly learning, and as I constantly learn, I'm constantly doing what I've learned as I'm constantly learning more so that I can do more in the future. You get that picture? But you can't just separate the two. You have to be learning all the time, but you don't have to learn for 40 years before you ever do anything. I said that right out loud, didn't I? I know lots of good Christians who don't have time to do something good because they're still learning. You don't have to learn much before you know more than everybody else about Christ. Did you know that? You don't have to know much to tell somebody about Jesus because a lot of people don't know much at all about Jesus. You just have to know a smidgen and you can go right to work. There's a lot of things we can do in this world without having full knowledge. You know why we can do that? Because we have a good, good father. And when we're making good, good effort, then the good, good father forgives us of all the stuff we mess up. And he takes what we're trying to do and multiplies it to the point where it touches people's lives who are not yet as far down the trail as we are. So the whole thing about this service thing, and people said, well, I, I, I'm going to serve. I'll, I, I'm going to have more time next year. You know, next year rarely comes for those people. They, they just like to sit on the sidelines and learn. And learning is good. But if you're learning all this stuff and you're not doing anything with it, God is looking at you like the one who had the one talent. Wow. You mean God's not happy with what I'm sitting on? No, God's not. God didn't make you who you were because you were unnecessary. God made you who you are because you're special, because you're gifted, because his graces are meant to empower and enable you to pour yourself out to others to the limit you're available at any moment in time. And that is a powerful, powerful understanding of stewardship. Everybody, everybody is called to be not only a disciple but also a steward. And so today I just want you to think about it. And if you get convicted, I'm all right with that. That maybe you you spent more time learning and less time doing than you really intended. Maybe your lack of spiritual self-esteem that you've been sitting upon for a long, long time needs to go away. Because, you know, stewardship can be accomplished in so many places. I'm going to tell a story, and it's going to, I don't know if I'm going to call a name or not. But you know me, if I do call Jim's name, it won't matter. That would be farmer. But I'm going to have to tell it because you told it to me. It's a good, good story, so I might tell it. So and if you get up to leave, well, um, I'll come after you. Jim has this thing. He thinks he's an athlete. And even though he's gotten older, he still thinks he's an athlete. And every year he gets a chance to prove it because he was a quarterback when he was growing up. You know, one thing quarterbacks learn how to do is throw a football. So unlike me, when I go to the basketball midway to try to make that basket into that, I swear that hoop is smaller than it is in the gym, and and I believe that's true, uh, it's just so hard. But if you can throw a football and you can just do it once, 
inside some of those little designs they put out. And if you can get the ball through that, you get a big, big prize. You know how many prizes Jim needs in his life? He doesn't need any more of that, right? He doesn't need any more dolls or, or things like that or stuffed animals. But every year he goes to the fair, and his goal is to win a couple of those things and then to look for children that he can give them to. And you know God's a good, good father. So he went and he won this big old floppy frog, and his wife walking along. He and his wife are looking, Terry, are looking for something to someone to give that, that thing. They're waiting for the right one. Who does he run across? Not too long before, here's a kid that is just squalling their head off. And the policeman, trying to calm down this lost child, you know that happens at the fair, had him up in this high place, you know, looking out of the crowd, said, hey, is this somebody's child? Come and get this screaming ball of humanity. And the child is just screaming their head off. And Jim said, there's the one. That's the one that needs the animal. So they walk over there and the officer give this to the child. Gives a, the, the frog, I think it was. It was all legs and floppiness. And the child looked at it, took it, hugged it, and the sniffling just tuned right down. You know, parents are important, but not nearly so important as an unexpected gift, right? At a moment of crisis. I mean, we don't know where the parents were when they came, but that's what I'm talking about. Your heart can be expended if you, if you have the gift of giving, not just in the collection plate, but you can give selfishly and unselfishly in many kind of ways, gifts large and small that make huge amounts of difference to people, Right? Sometimes you can just sit down and give them a moment of your time to listen to them. What a gift that is. If you're a giver, you've been given the gift of giving, then you need to exercise it. It's not any good if you just hold on to it. It's not any good if you just use it for your own benefit. I know a lot of wealthy people, they think they're wealthy because of their own talents. They don't recognize that God gave them the gift of giving because they've never understood that they're wealthy in order that they might give most of it away. This tends to run off well-to-do friends of mine from my company when I start talking about that. But, you know, really, that's true, I believe, for the most part. God makes some people to just make money. I always wanted to be one of those people. <laughs> Give me the gift of, of making money and let me do that, Lord. And the Lord says, I called you to be a pastor. I said, yeah, I know, but I don't really like that job that much. You know, you move me all around, and I get, you know, I got to do that. I don't know that I really like that. But gifts, you see, are given by the Holy Spirit, not according to the Holy Doug. You don't get to pick your gifts. You don't get to decide which ones you have. But if you're a steward, you're certainly meant to use them. Now, it's not, not either a disciple or a steward. It's both ands at all times. And they're always developmental. This passage of Scripture makes that so blessedly clear that when you are given something, you are responsible for it. And you are not only responsible for it, but you're going to be held accountable to what you do with it. And you have to, in some way, take a risk if you're going to put it into action. It's risky being a steward especially in the world in which we live. But it's also a great benefit for you. Now, if we're going to talk about gifts, we're going to have to talk about it fast. That's not possible. What time did I get started? I was supposed to have got started at 5 after, and the music was so good that they took some of my preaching time. So I'm going to, I'm going to wrap up here in a few minutes. I don't know just when yet. You'll know when I'm done. Because I want to talk about this idea of being gifts, 
being given gifts by God to invest in his kingdom. And I'm going to talk about spiritual gifts. Now, spiritual gifts makes us stewards of the gifts of God. In 1 Peter 4.10, it says, Like good stewards of manifold grace of God, serve one another with whatever gift each of you has received. And it tells all these things you've heard of many times, that uh, everybody gets gifted. People tell me, well, well, God just gifted right over me. I never got a gift. Then I always tell them that. I said, well, I'm sorry. That means you're not a Christian. And they look at me and they said, I am too a Christian. I said, no, you're not. You just told me you didn't have a gift. Every Christian has a spiritual gift, not a talent, not a skill, not an ability, but a spiritual gift given by God that is meant to define who they really are. It is meant to define how they really live. It is meant to be a representation of how God intends to use the totality of themselves in ministry to God's world and to God's people. What a What a trip to know that you have something that is a special gift from God. And what a, uh uh-oh, to realize that you're going to be held accountable for how you use that. You say, I don't know if I believe all that. Well, here's an assignment for you. Read Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, and Ephesians 4, the three main places in the Scripture where we talk about spiritual gifts. They're not talents or abilities. They're not just skills. And they're not static. That's one of the ones I want to jump on today. They're not static. What that means is the gifts come from a spirit with whom we're in relationship. And relationships are not static. They are ever-growing and expanding. And at any time and at any place in your life, the Holy Spirit may de-emphasize a gift that God has given you in the past in order to emphasize another gift that God has given you right now. In other words, if you took a spiritual gifts test in 1935, it's probably not accurate for today. It's just not. And in fact, if you took one a few years ago, it might not be fully accurate today. It might be partially accurate, but it might not. There may be taken often. I'm coming back to that. It is also has its greatest value when it's linked with and the community. Your real value of your spiritual gift is not personal nor individualistic, but rather its real value is when it's expressed within the community of the body of Christ because it's put with other gifts. And thirdly, in community, it's where our gifts are discovered, where our gifts are developed, and where our gifts are deployed. It is so we can be the church. Now, if they're from God... And if we're equipped to serve, definition being different for skills and talents in this way, they are what we express rather than the way we express them. Hear that again. The difference between skills and talents and gifts are that gifts are what we express rather than the way we express them. And they're given for the building up of the body of Christ to equip the saints for ministry. They're not for us as individuals to benefit from them. They don't have anything to do with our self-esteem. They're the gift from God to be used for the body of Christ. The last point I think I want to make is called a fifth, five, six, and seven here, but let's just rush through them as one. Relationship with the Holy Spirit is meant to be a relationship that is continually growing and changing. When God, what God needs, 
when God needs us, it's equipped us by the gifts. However, when gifts are first received, they're not fully understood. And when they are first understood, they're not fully formed. So we get gifts at a certain place, and then we have to learn how to use them, how to develop them, how to put them into practice in the body of Christ and in the extended body of Christ outside our normal community. Because you see, it's when gifts are combined and they're, they're paired with other gifted people in the body of Christ that a church becomes terribly, terribly effective. Because you see, they're bringing together all the gifts that God gives in a community as one unit to change God's world and to transform his people's lives. None of us have all the gifts. None of us have gifts that are fully defined throughout the congregation. But rather, we had to put them all together as a body of Christ so that the church with a capital C, not this community, but the church with a capital C, can really transform the world. Yeah, we pass out service cards, and you've got one this week because we need to know where you think God is gifting you. Now, I don't know if you're still living off the gift idea you got 40 years ago or not, and I don't really care, but here's what I'm going to do about gifts. For the first time in my ministry, I'm going to do this regularly. It scares me because I don't like discipline regularly. Other than coming to church on Sunday, I'm pretty flexible. Okay, so here it goes. My wife is cringing now. She says, oh, no, what's he going to say now? I'm going to say this. I'm going to start classes on Wednesday nights, beginning the first of the year, because I can't get ready for it before then. And on Wednesday nights, I'm going to meet with groups of 12, not 10, not 14, but 12. If you're not one of the first 12 to sign up, then you have to wait till the next round. And we're going to talk about gifts, gifts that we have so they can be discovered. We're going to talk about developing the gifts you have so they can be fully implemented. And then we're going to talk about how you can implement them in your world on a regular basis, not just on Sunday morning. Now, some of you are going to say, well, I already know my gifts, so I don't need to take the test. If you want to be a part of this class, you're going to take the test again. If you already know so much that you know your gifts are all that God's ever going to give you, then you know more than God, and I doubt it. So if you want to be a part of the class, you've got to take the test again, new inventory, and then you have to come and engage with 11 other people and make plans to be available and to risk yourself for the kingdom of God. How long am I going to do that? I'm going to do it in about, every class is going to last about three weeks, so it's not going to be a a mammoth undertaking that you can't do. And you say, well, I can't come on Wednesday nights. Well, then you need to change your schedule because that's when I'm available. You just need to change it. I really don't care what you have to change. Whatever it is, God's agenda is bigger than yours. You can change the other things you need to change. I'm really pushy this morning, aren't I? But I'm okay with this. So I hope you are too. Because I want to see what God is expecting to see, not from me and not from you, but from us. I want to see a church that's on fire to serve in order that they might become all that God's calling them to be. I know you're that way already. But when we get it all put together at the same time, I really can't imagine what we're going to look like. I feel sorry for the other churches. I hope they don't all have to close. 
I feel sorry for our architects because they might have to be drove up new plans. I mean, we're going to need a bigger building. I don't know what we're going to do about all the people who's going to be walking around Carrollton talking about that First Methodist Church in Carrollton. Let's just say First Church, and it won't be First Baptist Church you're talking about. I'm sorry. won't be First Presbyterian. won't be them. It'll just be First Methodist. It'll be us. Because if we ever get together and have all the gifts of the church functional, we'll be the first church to ever do that. <laughs> That's kind of depressing, isn't it? That's kind of depressing. I've been doing this 38 years. I've never been one of those churches yet. But who knows? Maybe some of you who have never shared what God has given you will decide now's the time to find out what it really means to be a Christian who follows Christ. Maybe some of you will think that following Christ is worth anything else you have to give up in your life. For all those who feel ready to do that, I'm excited. We'll post the first 12 seats. And if you're one of the first 12 to sign up, you get to be in the first 12. Well, the second 12, the disciples. 11 of them made it. Because we're going to change the world. Because we will be opening ourselves up to receive what God has for each of us. Putting it all together so we can see what God is calling us to do together so that we can make a difference in this mess of a world in which we live. Do I believe that can happen? I absolutely believe that can happen. How's it going to happen? Only by God and only by us being willing to surrender ourselves to Christ. Are you willing? I pray you are. Heavenly Father, I thank you for these people. They are unbelievable Christians. In so many ways... And for so many years, they have touched lives, the impact of which we still don't even fully know, but we know it's going on continually. Bless them. Encourage them. Stir up within them the gift that you have given them. And give them hearts that are eager to pursue you, to understand you, to serve you. Thank you, Lord, for the forms they're going to fill out and turn in before they know all because they know just as much about what you're calling them to do today. I thank you for their response, not just on the sheet, but for the response in their heart. And I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Looking for a church? First church is only here. Looking for a Lord? We know Jesus. We'll be glad to introduce you to him. And you shouldn't leave this building without him as we stand and sing. If you need to make a decision, we invite you to do so.